are listening to the Sports Daily. I'm your host, Reality Steve. Thank you all for tuning in. Good Friday show for you heading into the weekend. We're going to talk a little bit of the NBA Finals, a little of NHL Finals, which switched at the drop of a hat last night. Get into that. We're going to talk college softball and the dominance that is the Oklahoma Sooners women's program. My gosh. Unbelievable. And then a little bit about Victor Victor, Victor Wembanyama. And is the Vegas A's even happening anymore? We'll get into that, and we'll get to all that momentarily. So one thing I wanted to point out about the NBA Finals Game four tonight in Miami, you know it's pretty much a must-win for the Heat. You don't want to fall behind 3-1. Even though you can come back from them, doesn't happen very often. You're putting yourself behind the eight ball. And we've seen the zigzag in this series so far. Denver pretty dominant in the first game, and you're like, oh, my gosh, how is how is Miami going to defend them? They're too big. And then Miami comes back and hits 18 three-pointers in the second game, and you're like, my gosh. Denver's in trouble. They had no energy. They haven't played well in the fourth quarter. And then they come out in game three and in Miami and pretty much controlled the game from the first quarter on. So after game two, you remember me reading you Nuggets head coach Mike Malone's quotes about his team. Like, our intensity was terrible. Our defense was terrible. Our energy was terrible. This is the NBA Finals. Like, how can you not get up for this game? And then what did you hear after game three? yesterday from Jimmy Butler he was questioning his team's low energy in game three and it's just like I get that these people are all millionaires but we are at the end of the road here there's literally possibly only two games left in the NBA season and you've got teams playing in the NBA finals each team through three games has already said once we can't have that type of energy it's like it's the NBA Finals. How how are these teams not bringing the most amount of energy possible and most amount of intensity possible when this is what they played for? They literally started their season in training camp back in October. You're here in June, and you can't muster up enough energy, motivation, whatever you want to call it, to play hard in the NBA Finals. Both teams have already been called out by their own one by a coach and one by a player, it's unbelievable to me. But one thing I forgot to mention yesterday in regards to Nikola Jokic, remember I was reading off all those stats that he and Jamal Murray became the first teammates ever in the history of the NBA, regular season or postseason game, to have 30-point triple-doubles. Jokic put up the first 30-20-10 game in an NBA Finals ever. It's never been done before. It's only been done five times in the postseason, and Nikola Jokic has three of those five. That's how good he is. I hope everyone is seeing how good he is now because, let's face it, most of the people who live on the East Coast, if you love, like, Knicks basketball or Heat basketball, you don't watch the Denver Nuggets during the regular season. If you do, you're lying except when they come to your town. But when the Nuggets are at home, which is half the season, I don't think many people in New York City are waiting up until 1 in the morning watching Nikola Jokic play or the Denver Nuggets play, even though they were the best team in the Western Conference all season. They just they just aren't, which is fine. But now people are getting to see 
how good he is. And now it's kind of funny to look back on. We understand that the NBA MVP is a regular season award. You have to turn in your votes at the end of the regular season. It doesn't take account in it doesn't take anything that you do in the postseason into account. Yet Nikola Jokic, as great as he was in the regular season, has been more dominant than any player probably in the last 25 years in the postseason this year, yet he didn't win the MVP because people didn't want to give it to him three years in a row and felt Joel Embiid did enough by winning the scoring title for a team that ultimately always fails in the postseason. Like, I know it's not a postseason award, but it's just kind of ironic that what Nikola Jokic is doing in the playoffs, he won Western Conference Finals MVP. If they win the title, he's going to win NBA Finals MVP, yet he can't win the regular season MVP. This guy's putting up 30 20s and 10s in an NBA Finals for the first time ever. He's got three 30 20 10s this postseason or overall in the postseason and has only done two other times. Just kind of funny. Last night in hockey, I was watching the game. Vegas was up 2 0 in the series. They're up 2 1 with two minutes left. And the Florida Panthers get a goal. They get another goal in overtime. And here we are. We're back on with a new series. Like, this was minutes away from being 3-0, and you can basically Katie bar the door. This thing is done. D-U-N-E. Done. Yes, I know I spelled it wrong. That was on purpose. But this is what I mean when it comes to playoff hockey. You just never know when a score is going to happen. And there they were, Florida Panthers. Crowd wasn't really into it. They realized we're minutes away from being down 3-0 and this thing being over. They get a goal, then they get a goal in overtime, and here we are now. Series is 2-1, and now they've got this thing is back on. I don't know if game four is Saturday or Sunday. I know game five of the NBA Finals is Monday, so... Hockey will have the weekend. It's probably on Saturday, if I had to guess. There's no need to wait two days in between games when they're both in Florida. So it's probably on Saturday night. But gives them life. And that's all you need in hockey playoffs is just to have some life because they had no life with a little over three minutes left, and then they get that goal. And here they are, the Florida Panthers, still doing miraculous things because they barely – made it into the playoffs it is it is kind of ironic to look at the fact that the two teams in the eastern representatives in the nba finals and the nhl finals both from florida and both teams that were last into the playoffs florida panthers and miami heat both down 2-1 right now but have the ability to tie it up at two and let's see what happens but boy did the florida panthers need that because as I said, no one's coming back. I mean, it, it, what does it happen? Four times, right? Is it four or five that I had said a couple weeks ago, teams down 0-3 in hockey. I think it's four times it's happened. So they didn't want to do that, and they aren't down 3-0. Huge win last night. So congratulations to the Florida Panthers uh, for that victory last night because, boy, do they need it. I can't say I'm ever talk a lot of college softball on this podcast, but I am going to be objective and call it like I see it. And I'm sorry, but 
what the Oklahoma Sooners are doing to the sport of college softball is pretty damn amazing. I don't know if you know this, but the Oklahoma Sooners just won their third consecutive national championship in college softball. They won the best out of three series against Florida State. They swept them two games to none. Oklahoma finished the season 61-1. and 61-1. and one. It was the best winning percentage any team has ever had in the history of college softball. They ended the season on a 53-game winning streak, which is the longest winning streak in the history of college softball. Three straight titles. The last team to do that was over 30 years ago. The 88, 89, and 90 UCLA teams won three in a row. Oklahoma is just dominant. I mean, this is scary. Like, I, I'm not going to sit here and say I know everything about Oklahoma softball because I don't. But I am well aware that basically just reading the story, all you got to do is click on the story and read it. Three straight national championships. They do lose a couple seniors off this team. However, they have five All-Americans on this team, and all five of them are coming back next year. <laughs> Is this team going to lose? Are they going to win 100 games in a row? I, I certainly think they can. They, they, they return. Let's see. Let me get this right. I want to make sure I've got the, the numbers right. But, yeah. NCAA record, 53 victories and counting. First team to win back-to-back-to-back titles since UCLA in 1990. 984 winning percentage this year, 61-1, and is the best in Division I history. They have now seven national championships, six in the last 10 years. Only UCLA and Arizona have more. UCLA has won 12 national championships. Arizona has won eight. Um what is what is this pitcher's name again? Jordy Ball. She's a stud. She is one of five first team All Americans on Oklahoma. She threw twenty four and two thirds consecutive scoreless innings during the College World Series, which is third most of all time. I mean, how do you even how do you even beat that? And next year they return her, the center fielder. The th- second baseman, the third baseman, and the catcher, all All-Americans. So, I mean, maybe they lose one or two games next year. I mean, you, you just can't. Well, shit, 61-1, and one, and they outscored their they outscored their opponents by a shit ton. So, maybe they can win it all next year and go undefeated. I mean, I would think that's their goal. But, you know, in softball, I, the fact that they went 61-1 and one is unreal, but can they do it and go undefeated? I'll be looking forward to it. So the NBA draft is coming in a couple weeks, and we all know the first pick in the draft is going to be French multi-positional player, seven foot five Victor Wembanyama, who is being called the best prospect to ever enter the NBA draft since LeBron James. And... Some people might think that's hyperbole. Some people might think, oh, that's just people wanting to get excited for the draft or whatever the case may be. I implore anyone who's interested in the NBA, anyone who's interested in basketball, to Google him and watch his highlights. I'm telling you, we are going to get a generational player coming to the NBA next year that everybody's going to want to see. 
we have never seen anything like this in the history of the NBA because everybody that's seven four or more is either you know three hundred pounds like Shaq was who just planted himself on the box and was unstoppable just because of his strength. Shaq didn't, Shaq didn't take a shot outside of five feet his whole career. Victor Weminyama is seven foot five, can handle the ball, bring it up court, put it between his legs, come off picks, shoot threes, can take you off the dribble, go right in the lane, and obviously doesn't have to jump very high to dunk it. He is a freak of nature, and it's something, like I said, we've never seen this before. We've seen tall people in the NBA, but most of them are stiffs. Most of them aren't great. Most of them aren't dominant. Certainly none of them were three-point shooters. And this kid is going to come into the league and wow people. I can't wait to watch him. I can't wait to watch his summer league games because it's just – I mean, I'm, I'm an NBA nerd. I'm a basketball nerd. I love watching good players. And I love watching when somebody is doing something that we haven't seen before on an NBA court. How do you defend somebody who's 7'5 and can handle the ball and shoot from three and can also just stand in the post and be taller than you and score at will? I, I, I'm... So curious about how teams are going to defend him, how he's going to do in the NBA. Because the one drawback to being seven foot five, and this goes for anybody in the NBA throughout their career, big guys usually get hurt. And it's usually lower body problems, whether it's knees or ankles or feet. Just go down the line. A lot of them get hurt because their lower body cannot take the pounding of 82 games a season. And being seven foot five and running up and down a court and stuff like that. Now he doesn't have the weight to where he's putting a lot of pressure on his feet. I don't know what his weight is, but I think it's like what, seven five, I don't know, two ten, something like that. Victor Wembanyama uh weight. Let me just type it in. Uh wait. He's two I said two ten, he's two oh nine. How about that? Oh, now it says 230. Okay, so now he's 230. So he's basic. Kevin Durant is 240. You see how Kevin Durant looks on a basketball court, right? Just, they call him the Slim Reaper. He's just 6'11", 7 feet tall, very, very thin frame. Now, add on 6 inches to what Kevin Durant is and take off 10 pounds. (laughs) That's Victor Wembanyama. But he's not uncoordinated. He's not goofy out there. Sometimes you see guys that big. No, this is, this is, if you are a basketball fan, get ready for just an onslaught of Victor Wembanyama talk on this podcast, on all NBA podcasts, media, how much they're going to talk about him. He's going to be the first pick in the draft. He's going to the Spurs. It's going to be fascinating. I don't even know why. His Wikipedia is already wrong. It has him listed at 72209. The kid is 75. And now he's up to 230. But 7 foot 5. I don't know why it's still saying his Wikipedia is saying he's 72. He's not 72. He was standing next to 
Rudy Gobert accepting an award in France. Rudy Gobert is 7-2, and he had at least I, – I think Rudy Gobert is 7-2. Where, where does he listen? Rudy Gobert is 7-1, according to Wikipedia, which apparently we can't trust anymore. He's seven foot one, and he stood next to Victor Webanyama, and Webanyama easily had three to four inches on him. It wasn't even close. It was shocking how much taller he was than Rudy Gobert. So, hey, I can't wait. We are. I'm gonna have a Wembanyangasm watching this guy play. I cannot wait for it. It's gonna be awesome. And finally. What I think a lot of people thought was going to be a done deal. Not saying it's not going to happen, but uh, the Nevada State Senate adjourned yesterday without voting on a financing bill for a proposed $1.5 billion Las Vegas Strip Stadium to bring in the Oakland A's because I guess they're trying to figure out how much public money is going to be needed. They initially wanted $500 million in public money. Now it's down to three eighty, and... It seems like there's support for it, but I don't know how many residents are supporting it and would want it. Um, you know, the A's people are like, look, this is going to grow tourism. It's going to develop an even bigger sports scene in Vegas now that they have a hockey team, now that they have a football team. The NBA is definitely going to expand to Las Vegas within the next three years. Everybody knows it. It's the worst-kept secret that Vegas and Seattle are going to be the two new teams added when the NBA expands within the next three to five years. I mean, Vegas, they might have the NHL Stanley Cup champions this year. The Raiders at least made the playoffs since they've gone to Vegas. I mean, this has now become a sports town. Not only is it the entertainment capital of the world, imagine if you have a team in all four sports, major sports, Baseball, basketball, football, and hockey. We've already got hockey and football covered. Baseball looks like it's coming if they could pass this bill to get a stadium built, and then we know it's coming in the NBA. So I just thought it was going to be closer to a done deal. I thought this was going to be not signed, sealed, and delivered, but this was going to pass, and the state legislature was going to be like, yes, it's on, and we're going to do it. It's But – I guess it's coming down to public funds and I maybe the people in Vegas are fighting back and they don't want more public money and they don't want another stadium, but hey, it's not my city in terms of living there. I love it. You know that. I go there all the time. I'd love to see a baseball team there because give me something else to do if I'm in Vegas and have a day off and go watch a baseball game. But um, that whole talk about public money and financing and they're saying the public funds for the stadium would mainly come from 180 million in transferable tax credits. I'm sorry, I have no idea what that means. <laughs> and 120 million in county bonds. Okay? Uh again, can't say I really know what that means either. Um the backers have pledged that the creation of a special tax district around the proposed stadium would generate enough money to pay off those bonds and interest. The plan would not directly raise taxes. Well, clearly that's probably what maybe a lot of the locals are concerned about, be taxes being raised because we have a new public stadium coming in that or a stadium that needs $380 million of public funding. So it says the A's would not owe property taxes for the publicly owned stadium. Clark County, which includes Vegas, would also contribute $25 million in credit 
towards the infrastructure costs. Okay, it sounds funky to me, <laughs> just speaking my different language, but hey, let's get the A's to Vegas because they certainly don't belong in Oakland anymore because Oakland doesn't support them. And Oakland doesn't support them because the owner doesn't want them in Oakland. And he's putting out a shitty product on the field, so Oakland shouldn't support them. Anyway, that's going to do it for Friday's show. Thank you all for listening. Please subscribe at Apple Podcasts. It is much appreciated. It's the best way you can help this podcast, along with telling your friends, telling your family, telling your mistresses about it. They'll absolutely love it. So thank you all for listening. Hope you have a great weekend. And remember, sports will always be the greatest reality show on television. Great!